divinity that we have. And we feel that it's not a coincidence that we are here tonight. We feel it's by divine appointment. We greet you all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We are glad to be able to greet the youth of this church, those that are here. We're glad for each of you that are here tonight. We just trust God's richest blessings upon each of you, and that his love might continue to guide you and keep you in his ways. I have said before that the, the wealth of the church is not the building, it's not the pews that you're sitting on, it's not the facility that we are in tonight, but it's the people. That's the wealth of a community. It's not only the, the, the wealth of a church, but any community. That's the wealth of community is the people. And the, the, the community will never rise any higher than that of the people, that where the people are. The church will never become any greater than the greatness that is within the people and the goodness that is within the people. And the youth of the church hold a special place, and I'm, I'm not here tonight to place one over another. I believe that as far as our value is concerned, we're, we're all equal in the, in the eyes of God. Abraham Lincoln, I believe, said that, that all men are created equal. In many ways, we are not equal, but as far as our value is concerned, we are equal. As far as our worth to God, we are all equal. But I'm especially challenged tonight as I look into the faces of you that are the youth of this congregation because I realize that you're the ones that are going to have to carry on the work of the church. And I think it is so sad when we see congregations dwindle and when the older ones pass on there's no one to step in their place. But that is not the case here tonight. And somehow we want to encourage you, young people, that when the older ones pass on, you'll be there ready to take up the work. You'll be there ready to step in their place. And so I say tonight, it's not by coincidence that you are here. God has made it possible. God has opened the way for you. God has given you an open door. As the scripture says, he has set before us an open door. I know that I'm not here by coincidence, and I might share a, a few uh, life experiences with you tonight to help us to understand that, that there are probably few coincidences in life for the Christian. Most things, God has a hand in it. One thing that I would share with you is that when I was a young boy of about four years old, after Sunday, we, after church, we had some friends in for dinner. And after dinner, the children went out to play like children like to do. And uh, we were playing around an irrigation ditch. And the way the irrigation ditches were fixed at that time was that about every half a mile, there would be what we called a drop. And that was so that gates could be put in and to raise the water, the level of the water so that uh, water could be taken out in various later laterals along the way. And uh, I was walking across one of those drops and I tripped or fell or something and uh, I fell in the water. And I wasn't able to get out. I'm not sure if it knocked me out. I, I'm not sure, but I was found in the water laying face down. And I was pulled out of the water and revived. And uh, I'm here today. I. I to live to tell, tell that story. And so like I said, I'm not here by coincidence. Another situation that I experienced when I was a young person was, had to also do with water, and it was a near tragedy. We liked to float in the water, either on a, a, an inner tube or a gateboard, and probably you've, you've all done that. Just drift along, just nicely, slowly. Let the sun beat down upon our back and our legs were hanging down in the water. And I was doing that one day and I didn't realize that I was getting closer 
to one of these drops. And at this particular drop, there was a big gate that could take off about a 20-inch head of water if it was wide open. And when those gates were wide open, there would always be a whirlpool around them where the water was being drawn down into the ground. And uh, something it seemed like just told me to, that startled me and told me to wake up. And I woke up just as I was nearing that whirlpool and was able to get back into the calm water again without being sucked down into the pipe. And I realized many times later that that was a very close call for me because if I would have gotten crossways in that gate, I would have not been able to get away so much as the force of the water. So again, I'm made to realize that I'm not here by coincidence. I'm here by divine planning. Another time that I realized that it was a close call in my life was I was probably about 14 years old and my brother and I had been seeing an airplane sitting in the field. I told this to some of you last night, but only a few of you heard this, so I'll share it with all of you. And it had a for, sale, a for sale sign on it. And we didn't think too much about it at first, but that kept growing on us and growing on us and growing on us. Now you just picture in your mind two boys, one about 14, one about 16. And uh, we had been working a little bit that summer and we, we had some money. And so we decided we was going to stop someday and talk to the owner, and we did. And he says it was $75. It was an old fabric style plane, uh, a single seated cockpit, and uh, the wings were off of it. The wings were there, but they were not attached to the plane. So we, we kept thinking this thing over, and uh, we knew that our parents would never consent for us to buy a plane. That's something that they would never, never consider. And. Uh, but one time we got up enough nerve, we decided we were going to count our money, and we had the $75. And so, disobeying like boys sometimes do, we, when our parents were gone, we took the tractor and the trailer, and we drove over to this place, which is about four or five miles from where we lived. And we gave the man the $75, and he helped us load the, the plane on the trailer, and the, we attached the wings uh, along the side of it, and went back home. So happened that my grandfather was out visiting at that time. My parents was gone, but my grandfather was out visiting. And uh, we had in the backyard a long table, about as long as one of these church pews or, pews or longer, that we used as an ammon hauling table. And it was, it was a big enough table that probably 10 or 12 people could sit around it. The ammons would be piled on that table and we'd all sit around and haul the ammons. That's the way we did it back then. I can still remember my grandfather when we drove in with that uh, airplane and he couldn't believe his eyes, couldn't believe what his grandsons were was doing. And of course we saw him there, we saw him looking and we just kept on driving with that trailer. Clear out behind the chicken house, clear out behind the barn where it was out of sight and uh, we unloaded it back there. You know, our parents didn't say anything about that for probably 10 days. There's probably some wisdom in our parents that uh, they didn't uh, fly into a rage right away, which they easily could have done. But they waited quite a while. And finally, they sat down with us and talked with us and said, just what do you think you're going to do with that airplane? And we didn't really know. And uh, so they, they counseled with us quite a bit concerning that. But you know, nothing happened for quite a while. But finally, the seriousness of the matter kind of wore off, and we decided one day, well, you know what? Let's see if that thing will start. So we tried to start it. It was the kind that you'd get a hold of the propeller and you could crank it up. It had no starter. You hand cranked it. Had a propeller probably about six feet high, big propeller, wooden, wooden propeller. And so we decided, well, we're going to have to go to town and get aviation gas. So we slipped away and went into the airport and got five gallons of aviation gas. And we came out, and I was a little small to crank the propeller, so I sat in the cockpit and pulled out the throttle and put my feet on the brakes. My brother got there, and he cranked that thing. 
and uh, it took off with a roar, terrible roar. And uh, we still didn't know what we were going to do. It didn't have any wings on it, and fortunately, we never put the wings on. Uh, possibly if we had put the wings on, I would not be here today. But we, we uh, thought it was fun to drive that airplane up and down the pasture, and it would bounce along and probably about 20 miles an hour. We'd turn it around and bring it back, and, and we got pretty bold, and eventually we got it out from behind the barn, and we set it in the pasture field where it could easily be seen from the uh, highway, the road that went past the house. And one day a man stopped in, and he says, this is just the plane I've been looking for. I've been wanting this particular plane to restore it. And he was going to strip all the fabric off of it and, and recover it and paint it. He offered us $15 more than what we paid for it, and we were very glad by that time to get rid of it. But the point in telling this story was that what we were doing was a very dangerous thing. It's, it's only because of the grace of God that one of us didn't get chopped up in that propeller. Because that, took, that, that uh, started with a terrible force, and if it would have hit an arm or something, it would have taken it right off. If it would have hit our shoulder, it probably would have cut us in half. And so I say that we're not here tonight by coincidence. We're not here by chance, but we're here by divine order. One thing I would say to you young people, never buy an airplane unless you know how to fly it. It's not wise to do. I realize that now I, I, I've had to learn some things the hard way in my life. And I would hope that uh, from some of my experiences that uh, you as youth can uh, take note of that and benefit from it in your own lives. For our scripture tonight, we'd like to turn to the second chapter of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. It says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just re recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, thou crownest him with glory, and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. A wonderful passage of scripture. We would specifically like to use verse 1 for our text tonight, where it says, Therefore ye ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Our lesson this evening, we're going to entitle it, The Danger of Drifting. The Danger of Drifting. It calls it slipping here in the King James Version. But I believe that it helps us to understand it maybe a little better if we'll refer to it as drifting. So that's what we're going to be speaking on, The Danger of Drifting. It's a solemn reminder to us we have here that if we don't take heed... What we have might slip away, might drift away. We might drift away. I use that one illustration out of my life of drifting down the canal and of the danger that came because I was unaware of what was going on. And I think that many people today would do well to take 
heed to this verse and to give more earnest heed, more earnest attention to the things which we have heard. It starts out with that word, therefore, and therefore points us back to something preceding this. And in the last part of verse 14, it talks about those who are heirs of salvation. Now, young people and beloved tonight, we are heirs of salvation. If we have accepted Jesus Christ, if he is our Savior, we have an inheritance. We have an eternal inheritance, and that is salvation. We are heirs to that. That will be our heavenly inheritance when we get over on the other side. To leave these earthly bodies, this earthly life, sometime that is going to be the experience of each one, and we'll take up eternal life. You know, the Christian life has defense me mechanisms to, to defend us against the uh, uh, things that are obvious, the sins of this world, the temptations, the bad habits. We have God's word to defend us. We have the Holy Spirit to help us. But we are, we are vulnerable oftentimes to defend ourselves against this thing we call drifting. We are very vulnerable when it comes to that. And it's very easy to get into a drift. It's very easy to be unaware of danger that is around us. That's one reason why I shared the three instances with you. I hope that you as young people will be spared similar situations. These words are a solemn reminder of what we are faced with. Let's think a little bit about what a drift is. You know, when you're in, if you're drifting down a river on an inner tube, it just goes so easy. There's no jars, there's no jolts, there's no bumps, there's no bells ringing, there's no whistles blowing. You just drift along. And it's often easy. One of the things about it when you are in a situation like this, it's easy to just lull off into sleep. It's so nice, the feeling is so comfortable, you get so comfortable there, and it's easy to fall asleep. There's a, a spiritual parallel that we can think of also, and that is when we get at ease in Zion, sometimes we are drifting when we should be steering. The opposite of drifting is steering, but it takes a conscious effort for us to steer. It doesn't take any effort at all for us to drift. A drift is silent, it's soft, it's easy, it's taking the path of least resistance. Have you ever wondered what the path of least resistance is? You as young people have been in school, you've been getting your education, you've been getting your family, your home training, your parents have been training you, and sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's difficult, sometimes the yoke becomes heavy. Jesus says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But the yoke of this world, and the yoke of life, that's just the way it is. Sometimes it's hard, it's difficult, it's heavy. And I would say to all of us tonight that if we're not, if we're not experiencing some struggle in life, that we're probably drifting. We're probably drifting. I believe that even though it doesn't sound like uh, it might be reasonable, I think that a part of the Christian life is is, is a struggle. Would you agree to me that there is a certain amount of struggle in striving against sin? Is there a struggle in overcoming temptation? Is there a struggle in overcoming bad habits? Sure there is. Why do you do those things? You do those things because you're, you're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus and you want to build your life up. You want your life to be more like Jesus. Our scripture here says that he wants to bring many into glory. Many sons, many daughters into glory. That's the purpose of God working in your life. That's the purpose of God bringing things into your life that are not coincidental. But they are, they are definite uh, efforts of God to interact in your life. <clears throat> so don't be don't think it's strange if the fiery trials try you don't think it's strange if you are struggling 
over some particular thing. Probably if I, if I knew your hearts, if you were willing to reveal your hearts, we would find out that each one of you has some struggles. There's some difficulty you're working on right now. I know there is in my life, there's things that, that I'm struggling with. I'm not ashamed to, sh to say it. Because as we grow older in life, we are more aware of the struggles that we have and the battle that we are in, fighting against the evil, fighting against Satan and the evil influences of the world. And so we would say that the, the, the currents are within us. The currents that are within us are natural desires. They're the love of ease and love of pleasure. They're, they're the love of comfort and fleshly appetites. The Bible says which war against the soul. Fleshly appetites war against the soul. So the Bible would bear me out that there is a warfare. There is a battle. There is a fight for each of us to have to, have to fight. We call it the good fight of faith. There's, wor there's worldliness of spirit. And there's another thing, and I don't know if I'm using the word right, and I'm not sure if, there's if there is such a word, but I call it affluenza. You know, we, we hear about affluency. We live in a very affluent age, in a very affluent uh, nation. Our nation is very affluent, as we, would, as we would compare it to other nations of the world, especially third world countries. We don't see extreme poverty here. We see some poverty, but we don't see extreme poverty. We don't see extreme suffering. We don't have a system such as India has where they have the sacred cow and because of the abundance of sacred cows, people don't have enough to eat. We don't see those things here in America. And so we call it affluency. We have generally uh, a lots, lots of blessings. We have many material things to uh, please the flesh. That's affluency. And we suffer from those things to a certain extent. We not only have the currents within, but we have currents without that has a tendency to cause us to drift. Those outward currents I would call the spirit of the age. There is a spirit that permeates the nation. A spirit that encourages this affluency. There are social customs that are contrary to God's holy word. Such as everyone is doing it. You ever hear that before? Everybody's doing it, and so it certainly must be all right for me to do it. I want to remind you, young people, and all of us, that what everybody is doing, usually, is not the way to go. What everybody do is doing, generally, is not the right way. We have to be very careful about falling into that error. There's materialistic attitudes, and there's, there's sensual pressures that are brought on in business, and in literature, in art, and entertainment. I believe we have to be very careful how we get involved in entertainment and in pleasure-seeking and this type of thing. These are the type of things that can cause us to start that downward drift. So we want to consider several things that, re that are related to the danger of drifting. First of all, we want to think of the path of least resistance. The path of least resistance. You know, it takes no energy to float downstream. Even a dead fish can float downstream, but it takes a live one to swim upstream against the current. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 where it says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to, to deceive. This is a warning against being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You know it's winds that make things drift. I was watching a little body of water today. Some fish was in the water. Some leaves were falling down from the trees and it was falling into the water. And as the leaves were falling into the water, there was a little breeze blowing, and right away, those little leaves started drifting to the far side of the pool. The Bible talks of little winds of doctrine. 
little differences, little things that are not quite according to God's word. You know, it's easy to, for us to be influenced, and we're all under influence, everybody that is here. We are under the influence of this world. We are under the influence of the spirit of the times. Every one of us have to deal with that influence. And that influence is like a wind that blows us here, it blows us there, it blows us here, and it blows us there. We're always going some other, some other place. We're not steering. When you're steering, you set your sights upon one certain thing and you put forth an effort to get to that point in life, from point A to point B. So remember that the path of least re resistance is not the path that's going to take you where you want to go. You can get through life real easy. A lot of people do. But that's not the best way to, way to do it. You can get through school without putting forth a lot of effort. You won't get very good grades, but you can do it. If that's what you want, you can do it. It's your choice. We're all creatures of choice. But I beg of you tonight to think seriously of where the path of least resistance will take you. I, I beg of you to think seriously of what God would have you to do. Whether he would have you to struggle, whether he would have you to strive, whether he wants you to be steadfast and to be able to be made strong in your Christian life as men and women of God, that you can become great men and women of God if you take the course of steering rather than drifting. The choice is up to you. You might say, well, I don't think I have a whole lot to worry about. I'm raised in a Christian home. Dad and mother are Christians. They know what we should do. I believe there's great fallacy in that. There's, there's great danger in thinking just because you're raised in a Christian home, everything is going to turn out all right. When it all boils down to it, you as individuals are going to have to stand responsible for your, for the, for your own life, for your own actions. You're going to have to be responsible and accountable for that. You know, when you follow the path of least resistance, there's only one thing that is necessary. When you follow the path of struggle, there's many things that are required of you. But to follow the path of least resistance, all you have to do is relax, do nothing, let go. You know, there's, they, they have even coined a phrase today that says, let go and let God. How scriptural is something like that? Is God going to do everything for us? Are we going to be carried through the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? I don't believe that that is really scriptural to say let, let go and let God. I believe that God is going to require things of us. I believe God wants us to put forth a great effort to improve our lot and to be Christ-like and to prepare ourselves to serve him. In Matthew 7:13, Jesus says that the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. That certainly doesn't, doesn't sound like the way that we want to go. It's a way of destruction, but it says the gate is, the gate is wide and the way is broad. You can drift right through that kind of a, a passage without anything happening to you. Another thought that we have is that nobody ever drifts towards God and towards the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll never get there if we're drifting. It requires energy. It requires, it requires character. And I would, I would beg of you as young people that you seek every way possible to build Christian character. Christ-like character, nurture that. Nourish it every day of your life that you might become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Bible, we have words like be strong, be steadfast. It even says be perfect. That's a pretty high standard, isn't it? It takes some character to reach some of these things. And we all need encouragement. I believe that's why we're here tonight, to encourage one another, to encourage you as young people, that you might be charactered young people, that you might be young people that will seek first God's kingdom 
and his righteousness, knowing that if you do that, he will add these other things unto you. Next thing we want to consider has to do with going against the tide. Someone says you don't need to, need to worry about the waves, but you need to worry about the tide. You think about that a little bit. This is nautical terms, I guess you might say. The, the waves of the ocean, they go up and they come down, and sometimes they're higher and sometimes they're closer. But those are not really the things you have to worry about. But the tide is, because the tide has a strong force. And the tide is that which can carry you away. It speaks of being carried away by the tide. In Matthew 24, let's turn to that scripture. Verse 37 through 39 speaks of the uh, days of Noah. It says, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of Noah they were before the, that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. That was drifting as I see it. As I understand what is taking place here. You know, they weren't doing bad things. It says they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, and they were, they were giving in marriage, but they were carried away by the flood. And the fact that they were carried away by the flood simply means to me that they were on a drift. They were not aware of what was going to happen. Even though Noah, the preacher of righteousness, preached for many years, they didn't, it didn't seem like it was soaking in. They didn't consider the reality of what was taking place. You know, things are going so fast in our world today. It's almost like a fast-sweeping tide. I had the opportunity a few years ago to be back on the coast of the New England states and to see the, the workings of the tide. I never realized the, the effects of the tide, the power of the tide. I wasn't used to such a, a high tide of maybe 20, 28, 30 feet. Uh, difference in the in the height of the the water as the tide would sweep out through those inlets and would leave those inlets uh, just beds of mud great power there to, to carry away anything that would come in its in its path that would stand in its way so be careful about going along with the tide I mentioned about people that saying everybody is doing it that's a fast tide that's something that we cannot afford to get involved in. It can sweep everything away that is in his path. Jesus condemned the people of Noah's day because of what they were doing. I wonder what he would say about people today. You know, John the Baptist was just the opposite, wasn't it? He was inflexible. He was unyielding. It was said that he was not a reed that was shaken by the wind. You could, not, you could not soon shake John the Baptist. You could not soon move him. And this is the type of individuals that God needs in his world today. You know, as, if John the Baptist was here today, I imagine we would, we would call him a radical. Or many people, I would say, would call him a radical. People might look down on you as Christians, as conservative Christians, and they might say you're a radical. Is that going to shake you? Are you going to be able to stand firm, stand fast, even in the path of criticism and ridicule? Let's remember that to be saved takes an effort. It takes thoughtfulness. It takes self-discipline. Sometimes people get the idea that salvation requires nothing of us. We make comments like salvation is free. It doesn't cost anything. We have to be careful about that because there is an effort required of us. God isn't going to do everything for us. He has done what there is to do. As far as the, the, the sacrifice of Christ and his death upon the cross, that was God's part. But there's still the part for you and I to do, to be steadfast, to be faithful, to be constant in serving the Lord. To be lost requires no such demands. 
All you have to do to be lost is drift. Just go along with the tide. Go along with the crowd and you'll be lost. Another thing that we want to consider is there's seemingly innocent steps to a downfall. It seems like it. In early stages of drifting, the gravity of it is seldom seen. When you just start to drift, you don't really see the gravity uh, and the seriousness of the problem. That's why I would, I would give you some advice tonight. I believe a good piece of advice for you as young people is don't forget your church. Don't forget the, the, the appointments of the church, the worship of the church, if at all, if at all possible. Now I know sometimes it's not all, always possible, but if at all possible, be at the services of the church. I think that for many people, one of the first signs of drifting is they start to fall back on their church attendance. Be very careful about that. <clears throat> That's one of the early stages. A ship can be just as effective, effectively destroyed and damaged by drifting as if it is run upon the rocks intentionally. And so it is with our life. The Bible talks about dragging our sins around us with cart ropes. That's another thing that we need to be careful about. Don't make any allowance for sin in your life. You're going to have enough of a battle with it without making provisions. Scripture says, what shall we then say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? It's an unthinkable thing for a Christian, as I understand it, to make allowance for sin. To say, well, I just can't help this. The devil made me do it in this type of an attitude. That is very dangerous for us to make that type of an allowance. I have to think of, of Lot. You all remember the story of Lot. I find in, in the life of this man, and Lot was a good person. It says that he vexed his soul daily over the evil and over the wickedness that he saw. But there was, there was five things that are noteworthy for us, and I, I hope that you can apply them to your life. You know, Lot was Abraham's nephew, and Abraham gave Lot the option to make the first choice as to how the division was going to make. They were going to make a division between them and their herdsmen and between their tribes because they had become too populous, too numerous to all stay in the same place. We know that... Lot chose the Valley of Jordan. He chose the well-watered places. He, he chose that which was most appealing. That which is most appealing, young people, is not always that which is best. And that's why you need to really seek the Lord, I believe, on what you're going to do in life. Don't necessarily choose the thing that you want to do off the top of your head. I think you have to look at your heart. You have to check your heart out carefully and ask yourself what is really going to be best for my life. Don't do like Lot did and choose that which has the greatest appeal to you. The second thing that he did, it says that he moved his tent as far as Sodom. He moved his tent as far as Sodom. And I believe that here was a, a downward trend that was taking place. There was a downward trend. First, he chose the Valley of Jordan, that which was appealing. And then he moved his tent towards Sodom. Possibly if he would have stopped on step number one, he could have easily gone back and counseled with Abraham. Number three, we find that he lived in Sodom. Not only did he move his tent towards Sodom, but he lived in Sodom. Things started to getting comfortable with him. You know, I find that this is a trend that takes place in our lives, that the more we expose ourselves to the things of the world, the more comfortable we get with it. When you start getting real comfortable with the things of the world, the things that you were taught against, the things that you today do not believe in, but you start getting comfortable with those things, it'll only be a matter of time until you take another step in that downward trail. 
The next step was, was that he set in the gate of Sodom. He started becoming involved in the things of Sodom. You know, a lot of people today are becoming involved in the things of the world. And when we can be church members and do this too. We can become involved in the pleasures of the world. We can become involved in the recreation of the world. And the fun things of the world. And the enjoyable things of the world. The things that the world has to offer. I say be very, very careful. And this is a great caution for all of us. Don't make allowance for yourself to get involved in these things. The fifth thing was, was that he lingered in Sodom. He lingered in Sodom. He got his roots down. You know, when you get your roots down into, into a location or a job or a relationship or an arrangement, it's hard to, get, it's hard to take those roots out. And that's why the, the uh, first part of our text is so important. Let's turn back to that. It says, we ought to give more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Giving the more earnest heed, I believe, is, is uh, considering them, considering our decisions, considering the choices that are before us. Consider very seriously the choices that are before us, young people. In Lot's particular case, his choices ruined his home. Literally, his home was ruined. He could not go back to it. He could not go and, and uh, retrace his steps and pick up where he left off. It was too late. Not only did it ruin his home, but it blasted his soul. I believe that Lot was a broken man for the rest of his life. I don't believe he was ever the same again after the fire came down and destroyed Sodom. You know, it destroyed something within Lot too, even though his life was spared, but there was still great loss to come. And he was never the same man again. The fourth thing we want to consider is the slow paralysis that, that drift brings about. It numbs the sense of danger and it's something that should concern us most. You know, when, when you numb something, you can't feel it. If you, if you put a shot into your hand of Novocaine, you can't feel it. It takes away that feeling. We have recently dealt with many people that have uh, kidney failure, diabetes. And one of the things that, that uh, is noted with people like this is they often lose feeling in their feet, the bottom of their feet becomes numb. And it's, only used, it's usually only a short time when numbness takes in that they get a little sore. Just It might be a hangnail or it might be a, a bruise on the bottom of the foot. They can't feel it and they continue to walk on it and it gets aggravated. Pretty soon there's a broken place in the skin. Infection comes in and takes place. And all this time they might, may not realize that they have a sore on the foot. And the next thing after infection takes in is gangrene takes place and it starts to work up the foot maybe starts at the toes and up the foot and up the ankle and the first thing you know they have to have their foot amputated because of numbness a great lesson to us as we would make a spiritual application as to the the, the danger of becoming numb of slow paralysis setting in that's what we're talking about tonight in our spiritual senses, that which is keen and sharp today, you might be very keen against sin. But if you make a, start making allowances for little sins here, little things, things there, you start allowing little things to creep into your life, a spiritual numbness will take place. And you'll no longer have the feeling that you have tonight. If you are sensitive about sin, if you are sensitive about indecent exposure, if you're insensitive about taking substances into your body today, I would, my best advice to you is never get involved in those things because if you get involved in those things, slowly but surely, numbness and, and paralysis will take place. I am told that one winter, somebody observed at Niagara River a bird that was floating along on a piece of wood. And beings, it was winter time, and there was a lot of spray in the air from the wild, rushing river. The moisture was settling on the bird's wings. 
And the bird was obviously just enjoying the little ride down the Niagara River, thinking that at any moment it could fly away. But when the time came that it was approaching the, the, the falls, the bird was noticing to be struggling. And it couldn't, it couldn't soar. And in a few moments, it rushed madly over the river to its destruction. Its wings had been crested with ice, encased with ice. And that's a very uh, important lesson in regards to what happens when we drift. We might answer, ask the question in bringing this to a conclusion, what can we do? I believe that we have an anchor. We have an anchor to the soul. And again, we want to refer to verse 1. It says, take heed. I believe that's the first thing that we do. Take an earnest heed. Take an earnest look at the life that is before you. Young people, your life is before you. You can have a wonderful life. You can have a beautiful life. You, you are born to serve this present age. You are born for this hour. You are born to be a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are not here by coincidence. You are not here by chance. God has placed you here. God has placed you in the home that you are a part of. God has given you the parents that you have to guide you, to help you, to direct you, so that you can be a person that will be. There is the reality of life. There is the reality of, of you being someone that is very valuable and very useful to God. Or there can be the other option also, and that you will go into a, a situation of drifting, and you could lose your own soul. So don't become indifferent to those things. What are we take heed to? We're, to? we're to take heed to the things which we have heard. What are the things that we have heard? We've heard gospel truth. You've heard gospel teaching from the time that you can first remember. Your, your earliest memories are memories of your parents teaching you and your Sunday school teachers teaching you and the preachers preaching to you. Take earnest heed to those things. Don't let them slip to the gospel facts and truths and values and the warnings that you have heard. Don't let them slip. These have power to give direction and stability to your life and make you the useful person that God would have you to be. Consider Christ. That's one of the things that we should consider. That should be priority to each one of us. The power of Christ working in our life. Consider Christ. Consider that he never drifted. He was, a, he was a person of purpose and of meaning. He had purpose and meaning in his life. And I believe that he will give the purpose and meaning that you need for your life also. He is able to keep you from falling. We read that in the book of, of Jude 24 where, where it says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Do you believe that Jesus is able to keep you from falling? Indeed he is and he wants to keep you from falling. I believe it, it, it grieves him greatly when any of us fall. So let's anchor our souls in him. He is that anchor. And remember that a ship that is securely anchored will never drift. And if you're securely anchored in Jesus, you will never drift either. I would ask you the question one more time. Are you steering or are you drifting? In closing, I would just relate one more instance and that was a young boy that came to me one time and he says David I want to learn to drive he was probably about 16 years old just just ready to get a driver's license he says David I want to learn to drive and I says oh Bill I says I don't think I want I want to do this and he kept after me and he, kept, he was real persistent he says I want to learn to drive I want to learn to drive and he was so confident, I says, are you sure that you want to do this? And he says, yes. And day after day, he would come to me and says, will you let me, will you let me drive for you? And finally, I did. Finally, I gave in. And he was driving, and everything was going pretty good. Seemed like he could keep the car in the middle of the road fairly well. But all of a sudden, I guess he looked off to the side of the road. You know, you can about imagine what happened next. Before we knew it, he was in the ditch. 
Nothing happened. No damage was done. But I got behind the wheel pretty quick. And you know I have to think that sometimes our life is that way. We think that everything is going good, but we don't keep our focus upon Jesus. I'm thinking of a young sailor boy that was taking his first trip on a sailing vessel. And he kept talking to the captain. He says, let me take the wheel for a while. And it was nighttime, and finally the captain decided to let him do it. And he, said, he told the boy, he says, you see that star up there in the sky? He says, you sail towards that star. You keep the boat going towards that star. And the young boy says, oh, there's no problem. I won't have any problem doing that. But you know, as the night wore on, the boy was standing there holding this wheel, and he was looking at the star. Pretty soon he became weary. Pretty soon he was going like this down on the wheel, and he was leaning on it. Pretty soon his eyes were nodding, and he was asleep. His head was nodding. His eyes were closing. He was asleep. Pretty soon this captain came and looked for the star and looked at the boy and saw that he was asleep and he shook him and says, Wake up! Wake up! Where are you going? And the boy looked for the star and he says, We've sailed past the star. We've sailed past the star. Have you sailed past the star? Jesus Christ is the bright morning star. Don't ever sail past the star. Keep your eyes on the star. And as we would bring this to a close this evening, I would like to, to invite you all, if you, are, if you feel like you've been drifting, to come to Jesus. To keep your eyes on that star. To see Jesus as the bright and morning star. Could we have a song at this time? If there's one that is here that has not given their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not made that great surrender, we would invite you to do that this evening as we would sing that song. Step out for Jesus. Stand up where you are. Come forward. Let it be known uh, that you're willing to, to start that life of steering and not drifting.